right. Good afternoon, everybody. It is Thursday. It is California time. And welcome back to Daring Live. Thank you so much. We've been away for a few weeks and we missed you all. Um, but uh, we're back and really, really happy to be here. Uh, it's the California stay-at-home order has forced me into my, into my backyard. Um, but uh, we do have some fun to get through today. So before I do that, though, a couple of announcements because so much has happened since we last met. Um, the Giving Tuesday charity banjos are currently live and they are due to end today uh, in about three hours, 6 p.m. Pacific time. Um, so if anyone wants to go check that out, there is a link in the chat room. Um, you can go take a look at it. Um, it is six wonderful banjos, all custom designed and signed by the likes of Steve Martin, Mumford & Sons, Dropkick Murphys, Rihanna Giddon, and Kevin Nealon, and more. And all of the proceeds from these wonderful banjos will be going to six incredible charities. So I do urge you to go check those out uh, for a last minute opportunity to bid. We're also a quick reminder that we are running uh, the stocking stuffers sale right now on the site, which ends uh, this evening. I'm gonna drop a link to that in the chat in just a second. Um, and just on that note, it is holiday time. People are ordering lots and lots of cool things, such as this very fetching Deering hoodie that I'm wearing, and this very even more fetching Deering coffee mug, <laughs> which really does help the coffee taste very good. Um, but I urge you to go over to DeeringBanjos.com um, and uh, find out something you can get Sunday, October, uh, sorry, Sunday, December 13th uh, at midnight is going to be the really last time that we uh, can guarantee um, shipping within the US to get there in time for Christmas. So do pay attention to that and uh, don't miss out. Um, but it is my pleasure today. Let me see if I can pull him up here. And he is there. Mr. Chris Cool. how are you? I'm doing good. How's it going, Jamie? Pretty good. Thank you very much. Thank you very much indeed. Um, so thank you for joining us. We appreciate your time. Um, and I'm gonna pull that off right here. And we'll get into it. So, Chris, for those of you who don't know, we're very excited to talk to Chris today. Um, Chris picked up the banjo, I think, when he was 17 years old, after falling in love with early country music and folk music. And today he is known internationally for his uh, amazing clawhammer banjo style, songwriting, singing, as well as a multitude of sidemen and production credits to his name. Uh, and aside from solo performances, Chris also re plays regularly with Ivan Rosenberg, the wonderful Lonesome A String Band, and the David Francie Band. Please welcome Mr. Chris Cool. Great having you here, sir. Oh, it's a, such a pleasure. I sort of wish I was in California right now, but <laughs> Do you know? we have to, I'm, we're, we're doing the serious distancing. <laughs> this is, this is, I don't know how many miles apart, but there's no way we're going to get each other sick. <laughs> <laughs> nah. This is, uh, we don't need to wear masks right this second together. <laughs> so on that note, we would uh, we traditionally invite our guests to uh, play a little tune for us. Would you mind uh, bringing us in? Sure thing. I thought I'd start off with, I, I was actually just teaching this tune to, to somebody the other day, and I, I it's one of my very favorite tunes to play on the banjo. <clears throat> um, it's called Camp Meeting on the 4th of July, and it was a, it's a, originally a fiddle tune that I learned from uh, the great James Bryan. Uh, who's one of my favorite musicians in the whole world. And awesome. uh, I'll just, uh, I'll, I'll play it. Take it away.
Yeah, that sounded great. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for being here, Chris. Good to have you. So why don't you uh, why don't you give us a little background about yourself? You know how you got started playing the banjo. Uh, okay, uh, I'm. Uh, I've. I was saying to you guys just before we started here. I've. Mm-hmm. I live in Toronto, Canada, um, and I've lived in this city my entire life. Um, forty-seven years, <clears throat> almost forty-eight. I'm forty-seven and uh, ten eighths. No, ten twelfths. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, uh, I, I, started, <laughs> I, I started, I definitely didn't have, uh, like any of this type of music in my, you know, family background yeah, or, yeah. or anything like that in my culture. I, I've pretty much lived in right downtown in the city my entire right. life. Um, I got into, um, I, but I always loved music and I came from a family that, that definitely listened to a lot of music right. and appreciated. And, uh, when I I started playing guitar when I was about thirteen, there was a guitar course at my high school, mm-hmm. and uh, so started getting you know you know how it is when you as soon as you start playing an instrument, your ears just open up like two hundred percent from where they were. It doesn't matter what type of instrument; it's just like all of a sudden music is this different thing. So my ears got opened up a bit when I started playing and uh, and started you know hearing banjo you know, on different things. And, um, I was really into the Andy Griffith show, uh, at the time, like obsessed with it. I had, (laughs) I had all 249 episodes on VHS tape. Wow. I was like a complete expert on that show. This is like when I was about 12 or 13. So I started, like I was so, had such, such a a romantic attachment to the banjo from that show. And then hearing it on like those transitional albums, like, you know, on a John Denver album, or Mm -hmm. then, then I heard, I got olden in the way and all those things that sort of, you know, lead you down the path. Right. I was 17. I got my first banjo. Right. Yeah. And you got it. Your, you went out and bought it yourself. Uh, my folks gave it to me for Christmas, so I actually always know exactly how many years right. I played. So this right. will be thirty years this Christmas. Wow, that's great! And did you have a teacher in the area? Um, yeah, I had the first. My my very first banjo teacher was um, a, a a close friend of mine. Uh, uh, Chris Quinn, who I didn't know at the time, but since then we've played together forever right. and who's a great bluegrass banjo player. One of, one of the best I've ever played with for sure. Um, and he, I started taking bluegrass banjo lessons. And then I remember one day I was listening to uh, doc Watson record and listening to shady Grove. And I remember calling Chris. And I'm like, what the hell is this that I'm hearing? Uh, and he's like, Oh, that's, frailing or claw hammer or <laughs> right, right. and uh and i was like oh my god i gotta learn that and i met <clears throat> i was at an open stage and i there was a fellow who played the cuckoo uh-huh. and i totally got blown away by that his name was rick fielding and he was like um he'd been a professional folk musician from the 60s he was sort of like one of those like renaissance man 60s folk revival guys who like he played like uh, Reverend Gary Davis stuff on guitar and he could play mandolin and he could frail the banjo he could play bluegrass mm-hmm. banjo sort of like a jack of all trades folk working yeah. folk guy who had been a bar musician and he um, I went up to him and he he taught and so I went over to his house and he hadn't this is like I guess like 1990 
Right. So, like, he hadn't seen a young person interested in folk music. Like, it just wasn't a thing. Like, it was, it's weird. Like, now there's banjos everywhere and you see it all over the place. And I mean, it's still not in the mainstream, but it's definitely a hell of a lot more in the mainstream than it was then. And he just, like, the idea of anyone young (laughs) being interested (laughs) in in any of that type of music just like sort of freaked him out and he was like as soon as he saw i was into it he was just like oh he he just was like oh you got to come over and like i would just skip school and go and hang out with him and he'd lend me you know he'd lend me records every time i'd go home from his house i'd have about 15 20 records in a bag to go home and listen to and some of them are actually in that collection by behind there and uh he he was both him and chris quinn were were amazing in the fact that um they weren't just teachers they were the guys that gave you the mixtapes and sent right. you the records which is those guys are so important right right they you know they're you, you could hang out with them you could, it wasn't just a lesson sort of thing it they wasn't were, just a lesson and they were right. just like they were just like you got to hear this because they right. knew that like that really that's what was going to set you down the path mm-hmm. it wasn't them being like put your index finger right here now yeah. right. it was like listen to this and that's Get what into was gonna, it draw yeah. you into the music yeah that's that's you're you're lucky you had a good some good teachers around you we're the same age and so and, and so i you know started in, as a teenager as well in the boston area but uh there must have been tons of players around there not that i knew you know there were pro there were looking back but not yeah. in my not in my universe um right so much it's so much circumstance right yeah. and he's like like i happen to be I mean, I, 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 yeah, I, the, just the little coincidences that, that draw you down and you, yeah. you think, oh man, that could have gone differently and everything would have been so different. <laughs> and, uh, what were you looking, if you can remember, what were some of the kind of troubles that you had or, or, or you know, things you had to really get over, you know, imp- you know, things you had to shed, you know, when you're when you're a beginner some of those problem areas that you had to that you really kind of solved yourself eventually because we have a lot of beginners watching and you know and so it's nice it's nice for them to hear that that you had the same issues at the at the at, you know when you're starting out as well and how did you get through them yeah i mean <clears throat> uh i mean my biggest issue literally at that time was that like this is pre-internet right um and um there you just didn't see anybody i mean even this fellow that i that rick fielding who showed me he only knew how to play like straight claw or frailing banjo and he didn't know how to drop thumb Mm -hmm. he didn't know a double thumbing so um and then there wasn't like the access to the music so literally it was like i i scoured the record stores and i would go and find this and that and like it wasn't like these days you can just like type in on your phone oh, yeah. banjo and like what are the seminal recordings and they're like okay cool uh listen to right. kyle creed and fred cockrum and like but but for me it was just like it was picking through so that literally was the, the hardest thing was i didn't even know i didn't have anyone to learn off mm-hmm. of really and know um i really had to piece it together I am. I'm not saying that like like. Oh, I had to walk to school in three feet of snow. <laughs> type of thing. I actually am glad for that because I think it allowed me because I because when 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 you come at it in that sort of random way, it I think it it liberates you to 
just be your own player and have your own style because because you don't think there's any one way of doing it. And right. so I guess that's and that's something that I I think that um, people uh, you know beginners today um, I I think that they should be aware of is that like although there's you know you may learn from one person online there's so many different you know different different players teaching online there is no one way to play the instrument there's no one way to play claw hammer there's no one way to play bluegrass there's no one thing you should do with the music there's one like like just the idea of aesthetic i've you know thought a lot about that it's really important to Mm -hmm. me and i think that's a a thing that um that beginner players should really i mean you don't want to you don't want to it's one of those things I I, I, hate, I hasten to say, think about it because it's like you want to be aware, mindful of it and then forget it. Mm-hmm. But like your aesthetic is so important. And the only way you get, you know, you reach your, you know, what your aesthetic is at any moment is from what you listen to and what you value before that. So um, I guess that's my advice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what are some things that you, that draws you to claw hammer banjo playing, or what are some things that you listen for in good claw hammer and claw hammer banjo playing that you like personally? Um, it, I mean, the thing that drew me to it was mm-hmm. the fullness of it. Like I remember listening right. to the, I, I still like I'll never forget listening to that Doc Watson thing the first day, and it was like the the fullness of the that basic strum i mean even though doc watson now i know that he wasn't really doing that he was doing a, some a sort of up picking variation i think on that but it was still that basic thing where you're playing like like those the the sparse melody and backing yourself up so it sounds like two banjos mm-hmm. at once and just that to me that thing is just magical and just that built in um just the built-in sparseness and sort of impressionism of of frailing and claw hammer because like when you're only like like if you think of the the claw hammer like boom rest chaka that basic strum boom rest chaka one two three like really you're only playing that one melody note out mm-hmm. of every out of every you know four every possible four okay. and so it sort of just like forces you to be minimalist and I mean I think as an artist that's such a that's such a uh, a great thing to be like forced into that right right at the bat right off the bat um you know it's 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 in one sense a limitation of the style uh, on the other hand it's I think one of its strengths and so um to answer the other half of your question I really value simplicity like when I listen to um when I listen to Ola Bell Reed play uh, I always am like, you couldn't play that any better. Like that music. Mm-hmm. I mean, her she's an incredible singer too. So there's it's the whole package, and yeah. and her albums were produced so perfectly. Uh, but or just if you just took her banjo playing out of it, it was like, it's perfect. It does, like it's simple. Like if mm-hmm. I tab that out or teach it to somebody, it's going to be ridiculously simple. Right. But the way she plays it, her touch, her, you know, just the whole feel of it and her dynamics and the intention in it, it's perfect. And like, so I, that's what I value. And the longer I play, the more, the more and more I value that. Yeah. 
Well, that really comes through in your playing a lot because, I mean, one thing that strikes me about your playing, um, you know, it's not, it's not flashy at all, but you're getting great tone and you're getting the emotion across you're you're getting you know, and uh and it's that's a simplicity that you're talking about that that minimalist um but it's so relaxed even when you're playing a fast fiddle tune you have this relaxed feel and um how did you kind of how did you like just even on that first song that opening song that you played is just very relaxed and very you know great tone coming through how'd you how'd you kind of develop that relaxed touch because a lot of banjo players have this very um you know either rushed feel or just very kind of almost harsh harsh attack on the strings too right well i've I've definitely uh i've i've spent a lot of time playing with a metronome and i still do uh and i spent a lot of time playing i i i play when I practice, I mean, I really only have one. I only have one lick when it comes to practicing, and that's <laughs> practicing very slow with the metronome. Uh-huh. I'm, I've, I, like, I'm, I, if I'm practicing, that's usually what I'm doing. I'm like, I don't have many, many ways of practicing. I'm either playing music or I'm practicing slow with the metronome, and I've sort of always done that since I was in my early twenties. And by slow, I mean like. I have the, depending on how slow, the, the, as slow as the metronome will go, which is usually yeah. 30 or 40 beats a minute. So it's ridiculously slow. But what, what that does is it really lets you, like if you think of music, like if you were to look at it like on a wave graph, or if you do look at it on a, on a wave graph, there's much more silence than there is sound, mm-hmm. especially on a ba- on an instrument like the banjo that's got such a, a dry... Um, a quick uh, decay. Decay. Yeah. There's way more silence, so it makes sense to when you're practicing to spread that out and to focus on that silence and get very comfortable with that silence. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm definitely like I'm really into that. I'm like almost like a meditation or something. I like I yeah. love to just spend a long period of time wor- working at that those slow uh, tempos. And then I also like really believe in that's like when when I'm teaching like one of the main things you know i i talk about is like learning how to play with dynamics i always say to my 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 uh my students is like a lot of banjos most banjo players i hear sort of have like two volumes off and on right yeah. right and maybe some maybe three if they're lucky but what you really want is like I try to get them when they're playing to be able to I do this exercise i mean if there's any any uh beginners watching i love to, to to get people doing this exercise where like so say you're just doing the basic strum so you do the basic strum and you get your you get it going at your whatever your sort of middle tempo is then you pretend that there's somebody uh with their hand on a volume knob okay or in this case i'll i'll i'll, I'll do it just like with a slider so there's you know Without slowing down while keeping the tempo. Okay, yeah, that's a gr- yeah. great point. The backup. Right? But you have to do it with a metronome because you will slow down yeah. when you go quiet and you'll speed up when you go loud. Right, I, right. I do. I probably yeah. just did that. It's I always natural. do it with a with a with a metronome. And and so what that lets what that gets you doing is 
is sort of allowing the music to breathe. So on a tune like that, it's like that I just played. It's not that, it's... that came through my but it's just like you know like do that and to me that is the most you know sometimes people complain i've only had this i had one person complain once at, at this workshop i gave that they're they're like well that was supposed to be an advanced workshop and it wasn't like i didn't think that was advanced and i was i was like the most like the most advanced thing you can do is play something simple with good mm-hmm. feeling and and dynamics and make it breathe and make it come to life. That's advanced. Memorizing some like tongue twister tablature is not advanced. That's just a memorization exercise. Right, right. Yeah, across- If I may, I'm gonna jump in real quick, just just very quickly. Um, Got lots of questions today, which is awesome. And I'm gonna get to a lot of them later, but this seems appropriate for right now. Um, Hillary has asked, uh, Chris, could you demonstrate the slow, and then kind of what it becomes in the fast method. She's really interested in how you might approach that. Uh, so say that, uh, this sl- like how I practice slow? Yeah, and then kind of uh, an example of, of what it would eventually become. Um, okay, well, let me see. Like, I'll, I'll show you how slow I practice. And um, if I just find a inner... Or, metronome here sorry to put you on the spot no that's cool um so i i'm gonna i'm just gonna give myself a caveat it always takes me like i've been doing this for years and it always takes me a bit of time to warm up to uh to the slow speed so it'll probably it'll take me a moment here of not being in time What I'm doing now is just going between two right hand techniques and trying to make sure they have the exact same time feel. And I don't have doing anything with my with with my uh, left hand yet. And then I'd eventually add. start practicing a hammer on just a nothing in particular I'm not even playing a tune I'm practicing throw a pull off and I'm not specifically playing a certain thing but once I decide on the little lick I'm gonna do now I'd stick with it for a while. And then I'd build up. So 
So anyways, that would, so I would slowly build up. I start, always start with the, just the basic strum and I get that going. Then I, then I do the basic strum on different strings. Then I add, uh, going, uh, like doing double thumbing back to basic strum because really without getting too, too deep into it, like in my opinion, there's only three things that happen with your right hand and claw hammer, basic strum, double thumbing and drop thumbing. Uh, different people have different names for these things, but there's three tech right hand techniques that cover 99% of all claw hammer. So you have to make sure, and in a tune, you're always going between those three techniques, some version of it. So what I'm practicing is my seams between those techniques so mm -hmm. that there's no time field change between like when I go from the basic strum to the double thumb, what I tend to do is when I go to double thumbing, I rush. So mm -hmm. doing it with this metronome smooths, smooths that out. Um, and then, as, as, as the, the, so like that could last, like I will sometimes do that for like an hour or just to warm up in the morning or, or something. And I just really focus on eventually I'm playing a tune, like at some, you know, after about half an hour, I'm probably going to, going to play, play some tune and I just play around until I find something that's hard to do with that. That's like, Oh, I always screw that up. Like I always lose time. And you can be sure that if you're losing time at that tempo, that you're doing it at the faster tempo Nobody's noticing because it's happening so quickly, but it makes it all that stuff makes a difference when you add all those little things up. You know, they make a difference, even if they're sort of on a subconscious level, I think, with the listener. Um, and so, if you can play it, I, I feel like if you can play it that slow and be in command of all that space in between the notes, that when you do speed it up, um, it's, it's going to it's gonna be solid. And yeah, I don't know. You're going to have a different a different understanding of the timing. Yeah, that's that's great advice. You know, we always try to tell people, you know, practice slowly and get it all all your kinks worked out. Because if you speed it up, it's just going to be they, they're still going to be there, and it's just going to be more jumbled together and and less clean. Um, Apparently, John Hartford said that Buddy Emmons told him to pra that Buddy Emmons would practice because Buddy Emmons is who got John Hartford playing with a metronome, apparently, mm -hmm. and um, that J that Buddy Emmons told John Hartford that you practice at the absolute slowest tempo that you're ever going to play a tune or, or that you can ever imagine playing a tune and the fastest. And he wasn't worried about the in-between, but he felt like if he could play it ridiculously slow and ridiculously fast, he didn't mess around with the in-between. Because that does become a thing if you're practicing with a metronome and you're like, it's like, oh, now pop, pop it up to the next notch. It's like you sort of never get anywhere. And I, and I think I agree with that a little bit. It's like, the, the, I think the slow playing will help your fast playing, but if you're really concerned with playing fast, you do need to play fast sometimes. You do True. need to, like, right. and so if I was going to do it, I would say like 70% slow, 30% fast. Right. Or some, something like that. Or it's like some ratio towards there. One thing I noticed in your playing too, you play your fifth string really lightly, which is nice because because the fifth string's coming all the time and a lot of claw horn players you hear that fifth string pretty pretty heavy and it's and so you hear this you know it's the same note all the time coming ding 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 really loudly is there do you have anything and i know some people tie off like something on their on their fifth string or mute it a little bit with anything or do you are you just attacking it very softly I, yeah, I pay a lot of attention to how that is. I like when I'm teaching double thumbing. So, so for those of you, there might be double thumbing is just this technique where you're sort of 
playing a melody note and then the fifth strings in between. So, so like if it was uh, Arkansas Traveler. pretty much double thumb that whole thing. Mm -hmm. When I'm teaching people to do that, um, what I, in my opinion, double thumbing most of the time, the thumb string should be subliminal. The person listening shouldn't hear it. They should mm -hmm. feel it. It's like, it's, it's, it's like, so, so double thumbing without that thumb, that same thing. that much different but this has a lot more it's the backbeat so the so it's mm -hmm. really important but it's it's really it's not important as a as a note as a tone to me mm -hmm. it's important as a beat it's the backbeat it's almost like a drummer that plays behind the melody so having it come out so like my like my fifth fifth string is probably about. That's how loud my fifth string is between yeah. my double thumbing. It's really just like it's it's almost like not to get too too into the mechanics of it, but it's really like just there's like I, I'm setting my thumb on that string and I'm taking it off when I'm when I'm releasing it. In fact, when I'm teaching people to do this these days, I my my favorite way of of saying is like don't think of like. You know, when you're playing, like play a note, then play the fifth string, play a note, play the fifth string. Think of it as play a note, reset for the next note. Don't even think of that fifth string as being a note. Mm -hmm. uh, and think of it almost as like a, a byproduct of the reset. And it doesn't even, you know, it's just, a, it's like, yeah. you, you almost, if you, if you set your thumb on that fifth string, if you just take it off, like you almost can't take it off without sounding the fifth string. Right. Um, and I use a I use a heavy fifth string on my uh, on my banjo. What gauge um, is it? Do you know? Thirteen. Oh wow! Um, so that allows me to like really dig into it, and I think it like it gives me tone. Like if I if I because sometimes you do want the fifth string. Sometimes it's a melody mm -hmm. note. Yeah. Uh, like I was actually using it on that first tune. I had the that first tune I was playing. I had an interesting thing there. I was doing this thing where I. I tune that fifth string. I'm in double detuning, but instead uh -huh. of having the fifth string tuned up to an A note, Give which it down. is the fifth, I have it tuned down to a uh, what is that? A F sharp. F -sharp uh, so that it's um, uh, so that it's ringing the third of the chord. So in that first tune that I was playing, it's actually a I use it as a melody note. It's like it's about like half the melody notes are that fifth string. So in that case, I want it to. Right. But when I get to the B part, it's not a melody note anymore. And then I then I want it to be light. So so again, that's that's like paying attention to that to that subtle thing where it's like you're um, you're addressing that string differently at at different times, and you've got that control. Yeah, that's fantastic advice to just to be able to have have control over you know have, playing it or having it as kind of a ghost note um, you know either way be able to do both right yeah um, 
Yeah, that's great. Um, you also, you know, you're you're a great songwriter and, and singer, and and a lot of the time you're playing, you know, you're playing solo with the banjo and singing behind it. Is the, do you approach your playing when you're singing differently than when you're than when you're you know playing a melody or? Uh, definitely. I mean, um, and is there, is there a certain pattern, like a certain sort of, uh, it's not a role, but you know, some sort of right hand pattern that you kind of fall into a lot of the time when you're, um, playing, when you're backing yourself up. There's a lot, there, there's a lot of different, there's a lot of different ones. And there's definitely some, one thing I do a lot in my playing is, is what I call roles and, uh-huh. They're based on, like, or they're not really based on, but but they remind me a little bit. There's sort of patterns, double thumb, drop thumb patterns that I use that are like, yeah, similar to the way like Mark Johnson calls. He does these rolls in in his clawhammer playing. Right. Yes, I'm sure he does too. I'm not that familiar with his playing, but uh, but uh. They're just, they're, um, they're almost like finger picking patterns that I do. Yep. And I will do that behind my, my voice sometimes. Um, but I, I mean, again, like not to be a book broken record about the less is more thing, but yep. like the longer I do it, I, and I'm not like, uh, I just gave a workshop on, on singing with the banjo and I, it, I'm, I'm a person who was like, I'm, I'm not like. Like I love singing and I've been doing it for a long time. So I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I can, I can do my, I can do what I can do and I can, you know, I got my style on it. Uh, but I'm not, I w- I'm not like one of these people who just like opens their mouth and beautiful things come out of it. Um, <laughs> uh, so, you know, it's something I've really had to learn to yeah. do. And the more I do it and the longer I do it, the less I play behind my singing. Um, because you're more comfortable with your singing, maybe, and you're trying, you're not, you're not overplaying to kind of compensate just your anxiety, possibly, about singing, do you think? Yeah, sort of. I mean, I, I don't want to, I've, I've realized, like, the way I approach, the way I approach singing is, like, the way I, 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 I think of it is that when you're singing with a, with an instrument, be it a mm-hmm. banjo or any other instrument, yeah, sure. You're three people at one time. You're like, so if I'm playing with the banjo, I'm a banjo player, I'm a singer. So those are the two instruments, banjo, voice, mm-hmm. and I'm also a storyteller. And uh-huh. you have to balance those three roles. And the most important of those three roles is the storyteller. Mm-hmm. And so anything you do on the banjo that, first of all, is going to split the split your attention away from the storyteller, which is like in the beginning, that just means memorizing the words to the song. Then it yeah. sort of means eventually, once you got that, it means actually being able to like, you know, really be telling the story and living it, right. you know, seeing it in your head and all that type of thing. Um, the the um, the next most important thing is is the voice because like I feel like you don't have as much control. Uh, especially those of us who aren't like the most natural singers, the thing you have the most control over of those three things is the banjo. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's the thing that you, that, you know, I always start out real simple with that. Um, And then I'll, then I'll, then I'll build on it. But um, 
my starting spot, you know, I always say it's like one one of the one of like the go to ways people back up their singing on the banjo. It seems like is you know you play the melody and you sing over top of the melody. Well, the problem mm-hmm. with that is that like if I do that right, so say I'm I'm playing you know playing Shady Grove and playing right. the melody of Shady Grove and singing over it. That's all right if I can pull it off. I mean that might be if that actually might be too much for me technically and I'm gonna sort of be screwing it up but the problem is is like once I do that there's two instruments playing my voice is playing Shady Grove and the banjo is playing Shady Grove when it comes time for the break uh, then it goes from two instruments playing Shady Grove to one instrument playing Shady Grove Mm -hmm. the voice or the sorry the banjo Um, so it actually like apart from just being a lot easier to play simple behind your singing um, it actually is a is sort of a lot of the time just a better strategy as a as a musical arrangement right. um, to to do that. I, I don't know. I hope yeah, that makes yeah. sense. That, that, that makes that makes total sense. You know, to to keep the you know, so you don't have this dip in you know, it's it's of excitement level. You know, where it's yeah, like, yeah, kind yeah, of lame for a second, and then it gets back to an interesting spot. Yeah. Um, do you want to play something where you can where you sing as well? Sure. Yeah. Um, uh, well, I'll play, uh, I'll play my song, Old Dog. Yeah, that's, that's the that, uh, that album is, what, uh, um, I first looked, drew me into you about a decade ago, is that, that album and that tune, yeah.
that lonesome road And I've tried to sing along Still I miss that old dog when he's gone Very nice. Very nice. Um, Jamie, do we, uh, you mentioned we have some questions coming in. I'd love to get to them. You do actually. Let me, uh, put me on here. All right. How are we doing? All right. Let me, uh, pull up a few of those here. So Chris, first of all, like really amazing to kind of sit here and listen and soak it all up. Really, uh, quite a privilege. So thank you for, for your time today. I didn't ask you at the beginning, do you have a time limit today or are you okay? No, I'm, I'm good. Okay, great. All right. I think the first thing, um, I, that, I don't, I don't have a gig till like 2022. <laughs> so I shouldn't laugh, but it's <laughs> neither should I, I guess. Nah, but you, if, you can't, you do? If, you, if you can't laugh at it, then what's going to happen, right? So I think probably the first place to start, and I know Dave, you had this in, but there's definitely a few people asking, um, about that wonderful looking banjo you have in your hands. And <laughs> if, uh, if we can talk a bit about this, specifically a few people asking about the, the head and why it looks a little worn and people asking about what tone ring is in there. So do you want to give us a, an introduction and yeah, sure. uh, talk about what you got there? So this is my banjo. I call this banjo scruff. This is the main <laughs> banjo that I've played for, for many years, for the 27 years. It's almost everything I've ever recorded is this banjo. Um, it's a it's a seventies Vega, uh, so it was either made at the Martin factory mid seventies or by Galaxy, which I means I think it was made in Japan, maybe. Almost um, like Korea or Japan. Korea, yeah. yeah. Um, so it's a tuba phone. Um, those are stamps that I've put inside it over the years. But just a tuba phone tone ring. It's a funny tuba phone, though. For those of you who, who are into it, is that it's got. So it's got this thing. I don't know. What, what do you call Bracket this? Band. Bracket band. Yeah. Bracket band. Yet it's still got the screws, right? Which usually if there's a bracket band, there's no screws, right? Right. You're right. You wouldn't need yeah. the screws. The point um, of it. Yeah. <laughs> it, which is sort of a weird design, but I think it adds weight to the pot, um, mm -hmm. which I think sort of helps the sustain of this particular banjo. The head is just a, it's just a regular tuba phone head, but I was a, uh, a busker, a, a subway musician for 12 years. Um, and uh, that's when this head sort of took on this, this patina because it was, it would be, it was really dirty down there in the subways and it just got dirty over the years. And I've had, definitely had people question me on why I keep it. And <laughs> beyond the fact that I, I mean, I don't really care how it looks at pretty much every gig I go to someone comes up and tells me how much they love the painting on my banjo. <laughs> um, so, I mean, people seem to like the look of it. But <clears throat> my, my thing with it is, is if you had a guitar, like a vintage guitar that sounded awesome, like think of Willie Nelson's guitar yeah, or something. Trigger. That sounded amazing, and it, but it was totally beat up, you know, to the, to the point... You would never, in a million years, no one would suggest you take the top off that guitar and put a new top on it. And I don't really see what the difference is with a banjo. There's nothing. This no, nothing is 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 not functioning with this head. 
but I've been putting music through this banjo head for 27 years and it still sounds good. So until something cracks or rips, um, I am not going to, I, I feel like it has to age. I mean, I know it's a piece of plastic essentially, but you know, there's no reason it doesn't age the same way as a piece of wood does. Like mm-hmm. in the mystical sense, like right. there's yeah. probably <laughs> people will say, Oh, well there's all, you know, woods, uh, you know, the, uh, sure. organic substance of the, the, but in the mystical sense, you know, there's, you know, there's juju in this or, yeah, you know, or voodoo. So I, I, I would always leave it on. The other thing I've always done with my banjos, I've always used, and actually, uh, bringing this back to the deering thing, I was always, I've always been very happy with the, with the fact that the good time banjos have these, uh, like style pretty tuners. much guitar tuners because yeah. I've always used them. That first guy I mentioned, my very first teacher or second teacher, Rick Fielding, uh, he was like a real workaday musician and he always had uh, electric guitar tuners on his banjo. And he was like, oh yeah, they work better than any banjo tuner. And to my experience, he's right. These work because of the gear ratio. So like, I, I don't, I think it's like, what is the gear ratio on like 16 to 1 16 like 14 to 1, to one or 16. 14 to 1 to like or something like that 4 yeah. to 1 right? right on a banjo tuner exactly. so it's like yeah. essentially they're fine tuners um, uh, yeah. my friend Bill Rickard has made a straight through tuner in fact right. I've got it on a banjo back there that is it's on my it, desk right now yep 12 <laughs> 12 to 1 and they work great too those are wonderful um, but I've I've had these on for 25 years a pair of Godo tuners. I think I paid 30 bucks for them, uh, for six of them. I had two two spares. And uh, <laughs> they work just so well, and I'm so used to them. Um, you know. Right. You're, you're right. It is, it's, it's, it's a fine tuner because you can rotate them and not, you know, on a planetary, you really got to be very precise with them. Absolutely. You know? Yeah, and so that's why we like put them the on the good times. Between, people are like, well, it takes so long to tune. It's like, it doesn't. It's the difference between like that with a planetary or <laughs> like that. So it's right. not really, to me, it's not like an issue. But I, I've always I've always used those tuners. Um, I've got, a, I've got a, a scoop here. Like, so a lot of people have the, you, you'll see the, the, the frailing scoop here. Mm-hmm. Uh, years ago, I ran into a great banjo player named Mac Trainum, uh, who uh, made banjos or still does in Virginia. And he had this thing where he just hollowed out the edge of the banjo, and I thought that was a great idea. So I did that to, to this banjo. And the other nice thing about it is I like to play really high up the neck. And so if like for me, I play up here on about the Mm-hmm. Uh, 15th fret so i would if if i wanted to hollow it out like the whole neck i'd like i'd lose everything beyond the 14th fret mm-hmm. uh, not that i play up there all that much but it does come up occasionally so um it's 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 sort of a great sort of way of of scooping the neck but not losing your Making high frets if you want to play way up the neck could you bring that a little closer to the camera yeah Can sure yeah, interesting. That's, that's really cool i've never seen that Oh, look at that. And, yeah. and actually, um, I, I saw Mac Trainum did that, but I, I've since been in touch with him, and he said that Kevin Enoch, who's quite a famous banjo mm-hmm. player, mm-hmm. he's the one who thought of doing that. Okay. Or as far as, he's, as far as he knows. Who knows? Somebody could probably find some old. Um, sure. 
you know, version of the same thing. Love it. I love it. That's fat. I've never seen that before. That's very cool. I'll do that. Um, Tom Patterson asks, I'm curious about whether Chris finds it too much of a division uh, of energy to fire, to work both on Scrug style and Clawhammer. Um, specifically, like how I think he, it sounds like he's having trouble balancing the two and transitioning between the two styles. Um, and uh, he's looking to kind of see how you find that. Um, well, I mean, I, I, I was lucky enough to start playing Scrug style and I only probably played it for about six months, but I was 17 at that time. So it really sunk in. I'm not an especially, I'm not really all that good at it, but I've even, I can sort of, you know how it is with stuff you learn when you're that young, you can get it back really, mm-hmm. really quickly. I haven't, haven't put much time in it. So I'm lucky enough. I can sort of fake it, uh, without too much practice. Uh, there are, there are lots of people who can do both. I mean, one of my, one of my pals from Toronto, uh, Frank Evans, who's, uh, uh, plays banjo with the slow can ramblers he's an excellent uh bluegrass and claw hammer player he started with claw hammer and then moved to bluegrass uh there's lots of people who can do both um <clears throat> i guess if you're having trouble if if you're finding that that's not working for you then i guess i would suggest maybe choosing which one you like the most and putting some time and then you might be surprised if you focus on just one for a while that you go back uh and like when you go back in a year and and touch on the other one again, you'll be more, you know, you'll have more um, understanding of the banjo as an instrument, and it'll it'll make more sense to you. Yeah. All right, Dave. I'm going to ask one more, then I'm going to hand back to you for for some continuation. This is fun. Yeah. I'm enjoying this. Um, so uh, Michael has asked, and these are they're a little bit all over the map, so they're not consistent with one another so it's a quick fire round so um <laughs> what are you, what are your thoughts on a finger pick for claw hammer um i like the sound of natural nails but it's not practical for me to keep them long any is, we get this quite a lot actually um and it's uh it's a it's a point of definitely like debate of what the best method is do you have any thoughts on that yeah okay so i use so i use fake nails so so i'm gonna do this gross thing where you're gonna see my my fake. We're, we're on lockdown now, so I haven't been able to get my my fake nails uh, fixed. But you can see how thick yeah. these nails are that I yeah. have. So these, they're acrylic nails. I go to a, a nail salon to get them done. Um, I really like. I mean, I used to when I was busking. I used uh, I used a finger pick on the I used like just a national finger pick turned backwards mm. I, I I used to use the bronze ones because theoretically they were uh, a mellower tone I'm not sure that I believe that that could possibly be really actually make any difference but maybe it does um, but um, I if once you get used to using like just a, you know one of those metal finger picks like they can there it's you get so much more volume and clarity and frank who i mentioned just a moment ago he uses a backward finger pick and he gets so much volume and and clarity uh out of out of his playing um a lot of people like one thing though that that a lot of people say about finger picks and and i've noticed it for myself too is that when you do use a finger pick that you don't get the, the same nice tone um 
And I agree with that. I think you do sacrifice some tone, except like the one sort of thing that doesn't line up with that is that my very favorite all-time favorite Clawhammer player in the entire world and the person I think who has the absolute best tone is Kyle Creed. Um, and he used a metal finger pick and his tone is beautiful. So <clears throat> again, maybe he just had really great, great touch. Um, one pick that when I do use a pick and I don't do it very often, um, there's a fella up in Canada named Gord Acri. Uh, and mm -hmm. he, he makes these picks. So the one thing I find that happens with finger picks is they fall off. And he makes these, these Acri picks. I think it's A-K-R-I. And they really sit on your finger really nicely. And I really like those, those things. But again, I don't use them too often. Um, but those are, those are, if I am using a pick, I mean, it takes me a while to get used to it. But uh, that's, that's usually what I use. But, or a national is fine. That's what I used to use. When I actually did use a pick on a regular basis, I just used a brass national pick. Awesome. Thanks for the uh, thanks for the advice. I've definitely got some more, Dave. I'm going to let you carry on for a little bit, um, sure. and we'll come back. I've got some tuning questions. So, and while we're talking about nails and 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 your fingers, do you use you're using your index finger mainly, right? Um, or do you use do you do you use both your middle well, finger? Well, I use my index middle? finger for for like for the most part. I use my index finger for like the the like. So, if you think of the basic drum, like the boom of boom chaka. Uh huh. <clears throat> is done with the index finger on the fourth, third, and second string. When I move to the first string, I use my middle finger. Interesting. And I brush with 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 my middle and ring finger, and then sometimes with my index fingers. So, like a lot of times, you'll wow. people will tell you, um, you you'll see people who play, you know, the the boom note and then the brush with the same finger, which you can totally do. There's a lot of great players who do that, so it's mm -hmm. definitely doable. Um, the, the reason, well, not the reason I, I just sort of naturally ended up doing this because I think it's the way Rick showed me, but the reason I teach people to do this just to, uh, for, you know, for logic, if you think about it on an economy of motion, uh, um, like way of looking at it, like if I play that first note with my brush and then brush with that same finger, my index finger mm -hmm. at the end of that downstroke for the brush, my index fingers down here underneath the strings. So if the next string I got to play is the fourth string, I've got a big jump to get back. Whereas if I brush with these two fingers, I can sort of separate them and my index finger hovers here over the melody string. So there's not as much reset mm -hmm. uh, to, to get back. And, mm -hmm. and then the other thing is that when you brush with more than one finger, if I brush with just one finger, um, I've really got one potential brush sound. I've got the sound of that that one finger going down the strings. I can get the exact same sound with with these two fingers if I if I hit them. If this is a string, if I hit them parallel with the string, mm -hmm. but as I change the angle that I hit them with, I can almost get like a washboard effect. Yeah. Uh, and that's the the thing that people talk about a lot: clucking. The clock. And that's how you get that. That's again. That's sort of doing, and I'm I'm putting when I really overemphasize that I'm putting my my index finger into that. So um, 
Yeah, that's why I, I, I like to use all those fingers. Is it good when you're getting the cluck thing? Is it kind of like um, getting, you know, like false harmonics if you're playing guitar, like, like, you know, with a with a flat pick? Do you know, you know, like heavy metal guitar or something? Right. <laughs> you kind Maybe. of. Maybe I don't. Know, I mean, I don't, I'm, but you I'm kind not. of like sitting the the pick sideways like that. Are you kind of getting like a, a harmonic thing? Off of I, it, kind of, because you. Yeah, of, I think so. I mean, I mean, even when I'm like, like often I'll do that when I'm double thumbing on the first string. I I do this thing where it's like I it what happens like you hit the string and then this finger deadens it right after. So like if I'm if I want clear double thumbing, that's just with my middle finger. And here I'll put my my index finger in. I mean, I don't know how you explain that, but it, but to me, it, it gives it gives it a, like a. I mean, it's just a different sound, and mm-hmm. it's like when it comes down to it, the more different sounds you have that you can control, the, the more interesting your playing is going to be. Exactly. But like that, that like that specifically, like that, the percussiveness of that, as opposed to the clear note, it's almost kind of muting it and playing it at the same time. It yeah, is, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I stumbled across that before. I never really knew. Nobody ever told me. And then, I, and then it, it seemed to be the right thing. I never was really 100%. Um, what about when you're playing with a, with a group, like when you're playing with, the, you know, like the Lonesome Ace String Band or something? Uh, <clears throat> um, how does your playing shift than when you're playing solo because you now have to cut through a band a little more um in, in the lowest mace you don't have a guitar that you, you that you need to power through so it's a little bit different but if you're playing a classic string band um with a guitar um does your playing change at all to kind of cut through yeah if i'm playing with a guitar player i would definitely play less chords uh-huh. i prefer to like I, I love not playing with a guitar player because the banjo and the guitar are in the exact same register. Right. So like, right. I love playing. That's I love that. The Lonesome Ace is the second band I've played in that's just bass, fiddle, and banjo. Yeah. Um, and I really enjoy playing in that context because all the instruments are in their own. You know, you got the fiddle, you got the banjo, and the bass. And the, mm-hmm. and the banjo is the only, only person in the middle. And... Um, uh, if I am playing with, and so what, so what I do, like the sacrifice I got to make when I'm playing in that situation is to play a lot of chords. I'm almost mm-hmm. always playing a chord, even when I'm playing melody, like I'm just constantly popping those chords in as a, a full as strum or are you, or are you kind of, yes, yeah, a strum and like, or a strum on the, de- on the, on the downbeat. I often like whenever there's a chord change in the, in the basic, str- like in, in claw hammer. So if you think of the basic strum again, boom rest chukka mm-hmm. on the boom note you only got a single sing, a single note so if you were just playing that basic strum and like even playing chords the chord change is there and all the person hears on that chord change is one single note they don't actually hear the chord till here mm-hmm. right so so i will constantly play whenever there's a chord change i'm, I'm going to play a strum a downbeat strum on that downbeat you know, so like that's something I'm always doing in that band, uh, and just like I'm just tra- always trying to to line the chords out within the tune as much as I as I possibly can. If I was playing with a guitar, I wouldn't 
bother with that because the guitar is already doing that. There's no gotcha. use. Uh, there's no use sort of, you know, fight, not, not really fighting it, but, uh, mm-hmm. you know, um, do you, and then the moving into, I know we have some questions about tuning. Um, are there, do you play with a lot of alternate tunings? Um, I, I mean, I play with my, my go-to tunings are G and double C. And then I got really into playing in the, um, that F tuning that a lot of people play in, uh, which is what like is G, G modal down. with the fifth string tuned down. Okay. Do you know yeah. that tuning? So I that's, don't know. So, so they're playing like sawmill tuning, like so right now I'm in sawmill tuning. Exactly. And for those so that sawmill tuning, I, for those that don't know is, yeah, what? is G, uh, G, D, G, C, D. So the, 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 what's usually like for usual banjo tuning, this would be a B, the second string. So mm-hmm. it's tuned up to a C. So in a, it's not a minor, right. right? Because that would be flattening it to a, to a, flat it to a B flat yeah B flat and uh but it's tuned up so it's got that it's a suspended chord so that's what you would hear you know shady grove you know or little sadie or all those <laughs> all those dark sounding tunes but what this tuning is is i take that fifth string i tune it down to f and then what i do is I actually chord the banjo, so it's actually it's really different than other uh, other claw hammer tunings in that it's not an open tuning; it's actually a closed tuning. I'm always going to have this chord down. I'm going to chord this F chord. So mo- most of you who are used to playing in G think mm-hmm. of this as the F chord, but I've already got this finger, this string tuned up. Right. So my F chord is this, almost like a G chord on the guitar. So I'll play that as my one chord. And then I've got a four chord and a five chord. And the neat thing about that tuning is that uh, it's 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 sort of like for modern claw hammer. This is not like a, a secret tuning. Like Adam Hurt uses it all the time. Dirk Powell uses it. Everyone uses it. Riley Boggess. Everybody knows this tuning now. It's like it used to be sort of an underground thing, but it's not so much anymore. It's it's just a, a common tuning for for everyone to use. So the thing is, it's a, it's an F tuning. So I like it because my voice uh, often G is is a little too high, mm-hmm. so I can sing songs uh, in this tuning um, uh, that I couldn't that I'd really be struggling with in G. The other cool thing is uh, if I use the capo, um, it allows me to play in like, because I'm in F now, if right. I put the capo on, I'm in G, right? Right With the second, second uh, with the capo on the second fret. Um, and Did you change the I fifth can, string? Pardon? You changed the fifth string? Do yeah. you capo? Okay. So in, in, in this, it's it's actually even better because I don't have to tune the fifth string down, usually. Gotcha. Right. You get it? So yeah, yeah, yeah. Put, the, put this up, and I just leave the fifth string where it is, and I'm in G. Right. Right? So so it allows you to play in 
now I can play with the capo on the second fret, I can play in G, I can play in A, and I can play in D. But, so here's the cool thing. I got into doing this, you know, and got very comfortable playing in this tune. Then I realized, I was like, damn, this is like not really that different from playing, like it's only one string different from double D tuning. Right, right. And so what, I, what I've gotten into recently in the past couple years, is instead of using that tune, I just I just stay in D, double D tuning. But the fifth string is still G. I, I leave the fifth string down. So the fifth string is, is, is so it's not double D, it's, it's G. So I leave right. the fifth string out of the capo. G, D, A, D, E. And then I have these two home, what I call home bass chords. So yeah. like in the other tuning, this is my home bass chord. But in this tuning, I have to compensate. But what I can do, Can, I can play in G really easily because I'm so used to playing out of that other tuning. I can pretty much do anything I can do in that other tuning out of D plus I've got a, a way better uh, five chord because I've got the low D note, which is that's right. the note in that other tuning I was talking about. That's the note you're always missing is that low D note. So it's actually, I actually prefer to play play out of D, like D out of G basically. <laughs> that's interesting. I've got to definitely try it out. I haven't, I haven't experimented with these. That's, that's, that's cool. cool. I have a couple of tuning questions. This is why we're on the subject, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, Frank Hawkins uh, asked, actually, he wrote in on email this morning, so he was way ahead of the curve. Um, he asks, Chris, is there such a thing as C modal tuning? And if so, what would be the notes for the strings? Well, that's a great question. Um, so, so the tuning that most of us use for for C is double C tuning. So the reason that there is a G modal tuning, there's a G tuning and a G modal tuning, is that in G tuning, that second string is a B note. So it's it's which is the third of the chord, and that's like. That's the chord. That's the note. Like as I was talking about before, if you flatten it, it becomes a minor chord. If you sharpen it, it becomes a suspended chord. Um, in C tuning, the double C tuning, which is G C G C D, doesn't actually have a third. In order, in order for it to to be a full chord, like if you just strum that open, I think it's a G nine chord. Yeah. Um, uh, it, to make it a major chord. You got to put your finger on the second fret of the first string, which puts that uh, uh, what is that E note in there, um, and that gives you the that gives you the third, and that gives you a major chord. But the cool thing about that is, is if I put my finger just down one fret, I've got a minor chord. Or if I don't want like a minor sound, and I just want a similar sound to that that G modal sound, just if, as long as I don't put my finger on that second fret, I've got that, um, I've got, I, I, like the open string is not a major chord. So that means that that double C tuning is your modal C tuning. So so if I want to play, uh, I just, I don't know why I keep mentioning Shady Grove, <laughs> but if I want to play Shady Grove in this tuning, playing that in a minor, if I was playing that in a minor, I'd put my finger here, 
just not completing the major chord there so you don't need a you my the that's that was a long answer all i all i was trying to say was that you don't need a a c modal double c tuning already is a c modal tuning there you go that's a really good way of answering it though i learned some stuff so i appreciate that uh casey also asks do you have a favorite tuning that you like to play in um you yeah, say double C, <laughs> double C's. Like if I'm just sitting around in the backyard, it's probably what I, what I plan. I, I I love it just because it's got. I love the. I, I like that F tuning I was talking about before, and mm -hmm. the G tuning. The G the G tuning the or the G out of D I was talking about before. Mm -hmm. I mostly like that for prac for for practical purposes, right. just because it just means I don't have to really retune to go between a few different keys and I can even I'm sort of starting to get into play an A out of D tuning too which is also not really that hard um, so I like that I like those tunings just because it makes it so much easier but like for the sound of a of a beautiful banjo tuning I sort of don't think you can beat, beat double C because you've got that low bass note um, and again you've got that versatile versatility I, I tend to even if I'm playing major tunes I, I like uh, I like the sound of that suspended note. It's sort of modern sounding, I think, but it suits me. Um, uh, and I just, I love the sound of it. There's so much you can do with it. Love that. I love that. Dave, how you doing? Doing well. Um, well I'm just reading the chat. Maybe do you, you give a lot of, you've given a lot of lessons online uh, during uh, lockdown, right? Do you want to talk about anything uh, coming up? I know you have a, a workshop coming up in January. I do. I, I give, uh, I do obviously just like every other musician in the world. Uh, I'm doing zoom lessons. I, I've actually been, I've always taught. I love teaching. Um, uh, and so sort of in a way, nothing new, but I'm definitely doing more of it than I, than I used to. I give private zoom lessons. I have also been doing these once a month, about once a month or once every five or six week uh, topic specific uh, Zoom courses. Uh, so they're, they, they've all ended up being about two hours long. I've done six of them so far, I think. And uh, um, they're all, you know, for instance, I did one on, on that uh, G out of D thing I was talking about. I've done one on the roles thing I was talking about. A, a bunch of them and uh they happen live uh i do them live but it's they're not really interactive they're almost like a like a seminar so it doesn't actually matter if you take them live like you can any of the ones i've done in the past you can still take them uh after right. the fact and just watch the the watch the workshop and they all have a really um, i i i like i like to write about music uh and i'm sort of working on a book and um so they have pretty good substantial sort of written like booklet thing with each each one um yeah. and the next one i'm doing 
is the last one I did was singing was about singing with a banjo and was sort of on that thing I touched on about the idea of like thinking of it as you know three different roles that you're playing when you're singing and playing the banjo. Uh, the next one I'm doing is called uh, it is called the um, dirty trick. Strummy strummy, the explosion lick, funky bass lines, and other dirty tricks for claw hammer banjo. <laughs> and it's 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 sort of three three sort of like minor techniques that are like um, that I use all the time in my playing. Uh, you can you can check it out. I even I made a little video to sort of because I know it's a little. I mean, who knows what that even means? So I made a video to sort of help show what I'm talking about on all those three techniques. Um, so it's just like three weird techniques that I use uh, a lot in my playing and and how to how to apply them. And and you'd find these somebody would find these on your website. Uh huh. Yeah. www.chriscool.com. Okay. And I'm also doing in February. I'm doing an absolute banjo from scratch uh, four week course. Uh, for anyone who wants to, you know, is curious about learning to play. So that's like a total, total beginner course. Yeah, that's perfect. All these people will gain their new banjo for Christmas. Uh, yeah, exactly. We'll be set. Those of you who are interested, I just dropped a link to Chris's website in the chat. So please take a look at that. And for these, uh, these, these workshops that you've done in the past, Oh, there we go. Hey, these workshops in the past, um, can somebody find them even though they've already gone on or is yeah. it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you can, they're, they're sort of the, the, di the only difference between taking them like live and not live, like taking them sure. in rerun form is that you can't like do the chat, uh, ask questions in live time in the chat. Cause gotcha. it's not like people aren't like, I have everyone turn their cameras off and they're, they're, they're muted. So it's not like there's no interaction. It's sort of all about presenting the material and then giving you what you need to work on in the future. Um, so they're all, and people seem to really enjoy, like a lot of people have taken them after the fact. And I've got a thing up on, on like on the page, on like the private page to download, like a blog basically, that if you do have a question, you can you can ask it after the fact. So. It's really no difference taking it live or not. It's just sort of fun to take it live. Okay. I'll definitely check it out. They sound great. I'll, I'll definitely check it out. I know. Um, we do have a question. Not a question. It's a request from, from David Halloran. He would love you to play Rock About My Sarah Jane. Oh God! I'm, I've got I've got a second request to back that one up as well. <laughs> okay, if, it, if it's not, if it's so, if it, <laughs> yeah, it's just a, I did play that on an album like about three or four years ago, but I I didn't sing it. So okay, <clears throat> we'll try the got, second request. What do you have, Jamie? Uh, Paul Stanley asks, uh, "Can you perform?" He says, "Undone in sorrow." If you are taking a request for a musical treat, so <sighs> again, I'm <laughs> not sure I can. We, can't. Paul, we didn't script I, this. I, I have to say, Paul Stanley is one of my one of my students, and he's responsible for this gigantic <laughs> bag of cheesies that's behind me. So I, I sort of do owe him, but I, I I can't do I can't do that tune. I, if I was going to play one more tune, I'd love to show you guys a really interesting banjo, which yeah. I'm sure I'd, this is the I'd moment if you're going to show people an interesting. Yeah, banjo. that sounds good. 
I hope everyone's enjoying this. This is uh, this has been so much fun to listen to. We've had many dogs on the show, but we have never had a bag of cheese that's that big. <laughs> so it's a first. <laughs> so this this is a banjo that I got in in. Uh, when I was in the UK last year, I was playing at a festival called the Sweet Sunny South Festival, and this thing was for sale. It's it's a it's an old English banjo from the 1890s, wow. originally a seven-string banjo, um, but it's now tuned up uh, as a six-string, which means it's got an extra bass string on it. Um, and That's... I've always been interested in that, and so I bought it. It was it was a great deal. And um, I bought it and I've been really getting into it. Um, I love it. And so the way it works, so you, so this, this string is, the, the extra string is, or the way I do it anyways, is I always leave it as a G note. Mm-hmm. So, it's, so when I'm in normal G tuning or G modal, it's an extra root, low root okay. note. But when I'm in double C tuning, it's an extra fifth. Mm-hmm. Um, and f- at first I started, I mean, this is going to get specific to, to climber players. At first I was totally always thrown off by it until I realized that, that when I'm in G tuning, um, well, actually I'll just, I'll just D- David and I were talking, uh, earlier on, uh, David, I think you were asking, you, you heard some like nylon strong banjo on, on one of the records is, is that the one that we heard on the on the record no this i've never oh. recorded anything with this one that oh, would okay. have been that gourd banjo back there okay oh, cool. um so, but this does have nylon strings that's another thing so right now this is right now this is in um g modal tuning mm-hmm. but it's got an extra bass note in yeah. it mm-hmm. so I've, I've got that extra extra root and what i realized is that is that when it's when it's tuned like this, those bottom three strings are in the same alignment as they are when I'm when what I'm used to in double C tuning. Mm-hmm. Okay, right. even though I'm in G tuning, it's a bit of like a yeah. like a. The fifth and then. So I'm in G tuning now, but these bottom three strings are have the same relationship as double C. So once I got in. Once I once I sort of figured that out, it sort of made more sense. And then when when I'm in double C tuning, these bottom couple strings are in the same alignment as G tuning. Um, so I guess all this to say, it probably it doesn't make probably most of you have never touched one of these things, but they, they, there are six string banjos out there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just for anyone who's wondering, one of these, this particular, um, uh, no, this one doesn't have any string attached to it. So one of these tuning pegs is ornamental. Um, But anyways, they're, they're, um, they're, the, you, once you get used to it, each tuning sort of it sort of becomes half of the, each of the other tunings. So the low part of double C tuning is what you're used to, the strings being in G tuning, and the low part of G tuning is what you're used to, the strings being in double C tuning. So anyways, I'll, I'll just play you. 
play you something on this. Uh, because I can get that same, you know, those same... I can just... I, I, it allows me to get the tunes in two different octaves in most cases. Right. Or right. close enough close enough for, uh, for jazz anyways. <laughs> oh, that sounded great. That yeah, sounded really terrible. cool. Yeah. Awesome. Well, it's uh, it's been an hour and a half, and uh, I think it's uh, probably a good place to wrap. Um, Dave, you have any more questions? Yeah. Final thoughts? No, just thanks. This has been it's been great. There's a ton of information that I know myself will be checking out, watching it again, to, just to uh, grab and 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 our viewers. I know will will enjoy it too. Absolutely. Well, thank you. I, I I always like blabbing on about the banjo <laughs> <laughs> That's too. i could sit here we could sit here for a long time and keep going <laughs> I, I will say we, we do have a question uh from the wonderful paul stanley who uh he says that's okay hawkins cheeses only in canada uh but he's also asking he says just curious is is the neck on a six string straight off the neck and not angled like a five string um the peg I think I understand what he's asking. Oh, no, yeah, it's still so. like this. Yeah, I, mean, I think I think that's what he's talking about. It's yeah, it does look it. It looks from this angle for some reason it looks sort of flat. Yeah. But no, it's it's angled. It's I mean, angled back. Yeah. Yeah. It would need to be. Whereabouts in England were you when you found that? Uh, I can't remember. It's, it's small. North, north, south, east, or west? <laughs> <laughs> south of London. There you go. That's probably my neck of the woods. There you go. Very cool. Do you, like do you, have you heard of the Sweet Sunny South Festival? I have, yeah. It's but, there. Okay. That's where I was. Okay. Yeah, I think I know where that is. I'm just trying remember the exact... It's kind of a small location. I'm trying to remember exactly where it, it is. It is. Very cool. Very cool. Chris, any final thoughts? Uh, no, just thanks for having me. I appreciate it. No, it's an absolute pleasure. And... Yeah. Uh, from all of us here, I think we're going to do one next week as well. Um, so we'll announce that uh, in due course. Uh, but I think in the meantime, everybody, uh, please stay safe, stay well, stay happy, stay positive. Um, 
Chris, I know you just played, but would you mind just playing us out a little one more time? Uh, sure. Doesn't have to be that banjo. I hate to beg. Uh, I'll you know. play this banjo. <laughs> uh, I'll play a, uh, <clears throat> I'll play a, a Bill Monroe song, a sort of uh, a winter song. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for tuning in. We appreciate you, and we'll yep. see you soon. summertime when they can't walk about strolling through the meadow green is pleasant there's no doubt just give me the winter time when the snow falls all around i found her when the snow was on the ground i traced her little footprints in the snow found little footprints in the snow lord i bless that happy day nelly lost her way well, i found her when the snow was on the ground i dropped in to see her there was a big round moon her mother said you just stepped out would be returning soon found her little I found her when the snow was on the ground Oh, I traced her little footprints in the snow Found her little footprints in the snow Lord, I bless that happy day When Nelly lost her way Oh, I found her when the snow was on the ground Oh, I found her when the snow was on the ground.